Good morning to each of you gathered together in the house of the Lord this morning. It is a joy to be with you. It is a joy to see God's people gathered together. Would you turn with me to John chapter 17 for our first passage this morning? I feel like this chapter um, is central to the message that I have on my heart, I feel is central to this um, theme. If I were to give a title, I would say the story of His glory. The story of His glory. His glory. God's glory. Christ's glory. We see... In John 17, in the beginning, Jesus says some very interesting words, some very foundational things. I'm going to read this testimony, this prayer that John has, uh, parts of it, these first several verses, and then um, jump ahead and read several more verses. Verse 1. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. I'm going to jump down to verse 14. These that have kept his word, he repeats again, verse 14, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified. Through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Bow our heads. 
God, our Father, we pray that you would bless your word this morning. Pray that you would bless our ears. Anoint us, God, our hearts, our thoughts, as we receive your word, God. Pray these words we just read, you would make them to be understood by these very limited minds of ours, the limited experience that we've had on this earth. Oh God, I pray that you would help us to understand the heart of Christ as he prayed these words to his Father. Pray that you would help us to understand the story of your glory. This morning, meet with your people. Pray that you would speak, God. Pray that no man would speak. Pray that I would not speak one word more, one word less than that which you can effectively use in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Here we have Jesus Christ giving us a special opportunity to have a picture of his heart. We have our Lord, our King, our Savior, the one which we all agree, all of history revolves around, the one which is the only one that was sent into this world and was born of a virgin, lived a perfect and sinless life, God in the flesh, the only God-man that ever lived on this earth. We have a place where he teaches his disciples what we call the Lord's Prayer, and you can pray this way, and there's beautiful principles we can learn out of that. But I would like to call John 17 the Lord's Prayer. This is the prayer that the Lord prayed. And this is the Lord's Prayer, perhaps in a, in a, a deeper sense than what we often call the Lord's Prayer, and what he taught us to pray. Because it shows us something very deep. I think all of us can admit that we have many times uh, gotten to have a picture, a glimpse into someone's heart, a deep glimpse that you don't get in a normal conversation when you hear that brother or that sister pray and pour out his heart and he uh, forgets about anything and everyone around him and he prays and he pours out his heart and the deepest struggles, the deepest desires, longings, passions comes out in that closest relationship between that person and his, his father in heaven. And so that is how we see it here with Jesus and it's a very special, special opportunity, special view of Christ. <clears throat> there's three things that come out in this passage. Um, there's many more things, perhaps, but I, I see three main things, uh, three themes, and um, many sub-points under these themes. But there's three themes that come out in this passage, and they're a bit progressive, so I'd just like to point them out to you. Uh, <clears throat> they are progressive, and I believe also intertwined. I believe they are also interdependent. I believe that um, each one, as you understand it, it's one aspect. It helps you to understand and, and believe and practice the other two. There's three themes. First one has to do with sanctification. Personal sanctification. The second has to do with unification. And the third has to do with glorification. <clears throat> glorification. God being glorified by all peoples <clears throat> on the earth. There is one of my greatest desires as I um, 
associate with God's people uh, is to somehow help us all to get these three principles intertwined, see how that they seamlessly flow together. Because of that, I'm not sure if you've noticed, I have not preached a sermon on missions in this church all of this year. Even if I recall correctly, three years ago when I was around for a few months, um, although I've shared reports and some details and so on as far as what God has us involved with in Tanzania, but I have not preached a sermon on mission to say, God is calling you to go into all the world. I have not even preached from the passages of scriptures of the scripture that uh, tells us God's heart for all the world. Do you know why that is? It's because I believe that sanctification and unification are seamless with the theme of God's glorification by all peoples. I have a passion that my life would be purified by Jesus Christ. I have a passion that your personal life would grow into greater sanctification. I have a passion that God's people could come together in that way with greater unification. I have a passion that God would have bright, beautiful cities set on a hill all across this land, all across this county, of communities of believers that are becoming more unified as they become more Christ-like. Without those things in place, it is actually quite ridiculous to imagine that we would go into all the world. And without those things in place, it wouldn't, um, it wouldn't, it wouldn't make sense. Without those things in place, we wouldn't have anything to show. We wouldn't have anything to offer. We wouldn't have a good news. We wouldn't have a good message. We wouldn't have a track record. We wouldn't have something that is, uh, worth propagating. Something that is attractive to the world. So today, um, I'm going to look at John 17 just a little bit here at the beginning. Again, just to make a little more effort how that, uh, what I'm going to go on, look at a bit of a broader picture, it does not make any sense without getting these three things together seamlessly. Your personal sanctification, the unification of the believers, and God's glorification uh, to all peoples. As a subtitle of, um, maybe I just say this way, a question which I would like us to answer, uh, have clearly answered uh, by the time we're done, is why to the ends of the earth? Why to the ends of the earth? I was very blessed. Several weeks ago, I was in uh, one of our, uh, we were fellowshipping um, in the home of one of our families here, and brother asked me, he says, now brother Tim, he says, why? Very, very sincerely. And, and, and he says, why would you go from here and go halfway around the world, go to all that effort, all that money, all that time and struggle to learn another language, another culture, another way of living, get your bodies to adjust and handle all those diseases? <clears throat> Why would you do that when there is plenty of lost people within reach of you right here that you can keep yourself busy with trying to reach them? I realized 
That's a question that demands an answer. It's a question that all of us, I'm sure, have thought and asked. I, having having gone 10,000 miles and spent nine years there, I ask that question. I, at times, second-guess myself. I, at times, say, God, I don't know if this is worth it. God, is this really what you meant? God, is this really the investment that we are called to make? Are we doing something wrong, God? Are you sure, Lord? I asked those questions. I asked these questions when I was a 10-year-old, 11-year-old, a 15-year-old, as I more and more seriously felt uh, an attraction and a desire to, to go cross-culturally, take the gospel. And you know, I've heard many sermons about the, um, the need, um, about how blessed that we are here and how um, other people are much less privileged than we are. We need to preach those things. I've heard many reports. I've seen many missionary reports. And I'm talking about when I was a preteen and a teenage, teenager coming up through. And, and those things stirred me emotionally and, and gave me excitement and gave me vision. And, and we heard some wonderful, um, stimulating things last Sunday. And uh, thank God for what Brother Rick shared with us last Sunday. I, uh, that was the Lord. You know, I felt very clear that God had given me that this is the time I should share what's on my heart this morning several weeks ago. And then I didn't know Rick was going to come or he was going to share what he did last Sunday. But, you know, all those figures he put up here on the board had a little bit of the same effect. The need out there. The need of, of uh, so many that need to hear the gospel. The need of so many that need to be saved. But I would like to say that nothing has ever convinced me. Nothing has ever pushed me over the edge. Nothing has ever given me a commitment. I don't think that for you and for us as a congregation, as the body of Christ, I don't think that there is anything that can come close to giving us the motivation and the commitment to see it through to the end, to see it through to making uh, sacrifices, except for this book. And I would like to propose to you, by the time we're done, that this book is the story of His glory. This book, it's what it's about. It's the grand theme. Nothing else in this book makes any sense without it. Also, as reflecting on what um, Rick shared last Sunday and how it's similar or different from what my burden is, by the time we're done, I would like us to not so much focus on those who need to yet be saved. Now that they are 3,500 more than my one in this 3,500 village, as he described last week. Am I right? 53? 35? 3,500? But that God is working out the story of His glory. The focus is not those poor lost souls that are going to hell. The focus is not that many or few will be saved. We already know that few will be saved. Obviously, the question from last week that demands an answer is, is it supposed to be one out of 3,500 to be that few? Should we be satisfied with that? They are going to be few that are going to be saved. But what is very clear from Scripture is that all are to hear. 
the difference. And I'd like to put a little bit of focus on that today and, and get some, some deeper reason for that from the scripture. <clears throat> so let's look a bit more here at John 17. <clears throat> the story of his glory. Interestingly, Jesus starts out with the foundation of glory. To glorify. And he talks about how that the hour is come for himself as the son to be glorified. But do you know what he says? He says, glorify me so that your son can glorify you. Father, it's my hour to be glorified, to be lifted up on the cross, to die and to rise again, rightfully as God, to be glorified. But even as God, even within the Godhead, we have Jesus saying, it's so that you, the Father God, will be glorified. Thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. How many has God given us? Let me make that little bit of application. You think of that as we go through. How many has God given to you? Jesus knew how many were given to him. And he goes on with confidence, and he emphasizes that again in verse 6, um, that he has, I have manifested thy name unto them, which thou gavest me out of the world. He was confident that he had been faithful to glorify God in front of and to, by giving the word, by being actively speaking and giving word, the word, He was confident that he has manifested God's name unto the men which thou gavest him. Who are the ones that God has given to you? Not to win to the Lord, if I dare say. Should I water down the emphasis to win souls, Lord? Absolutely not. It's not what I'm saying, but I'm going a little bit deeper, I believe. How many, which ones has God given to you? Whether your name is Susanna or Gary or I don't care. How, who are they? How many are they? Have you manifested unto them God's name? Jesus says, verse 4, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest to me to do. This is a two statements that come together. One, I don't believe it's possible without the other. Without having finished the work that I have come, that you have sent me to do. I have not glorified you. That's what he's saying. He's saying, but I have finished the work, and that means that I have glorified you on this earth. Jesus, at the end of his life, was able to say that. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Glorify me, Lord, with the glory that I had with you. Glorify me with yourself. Now, if you would go out onto the streets of New York City and you would go praying, God, glorify me in front of all these throngs of people, would that be self-elevating? Would that be proud, prideful? Well, I think the question that determines if that would be prideful or not would be, Why are you saying that? Uh, And how do you expect that to happen? Jesus said, glorify me with your own self. 
to the extent that Jesus lifted up, that, the, that God himself is seen in your life. That cannot be wrong to say, God, glorify me with your glory. Because, see, then we become a reflection. And we don't end up absorbing any, anything of our own good or merit or qualities of our own. But it's himself. I have manifested thy name unto them which thou gavest me out of the world. We're going to come back to that and look at that just a little bit deeper. But let's jump down now to verse 14. I have given them thy word. He's talking about these that have believed. He's been faithful to give his word so they do believe. And when they have believed, he has given his word. Two different levels of teaching. Also, disciples who have already been born again, they need to be given the word and to be taught. The world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. You ever wonder why there's not persecution in your life? Read this verse a few times. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. Jesus could have asked the Father right here, say, okay, God, I came, I've preached to the world, I've shown them the truth, I've pointed them to the Father, and Jesus could have said, those who believed, they're going to be your church, God, they're the ones that are going to be with you in heaven forever, glorifying you and singing around your throne. And uh, in a sense, we could have, um, he, he could have uh, acceptably done that, but he did not do that. He says, I do not pray that you take them out of the world. These that believe, they're in the world. I do not pray you take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. So there comes the first one, sanctification. I pray that these people who have your spirit inside of them, that they will continue in this filthy, wicked, influencing world, kept from those things. Kept from the evil. Glorify your name, Lord, through their continual, ongoing sanctification, becoming holy, becoming more pure, becoming more like you. Glorify your name, God. That's part of the story of His glory. They are not of the world. Praise the Lord, He says confidently, even as I am not of the world. You can be as assured of your salvation and confident in your walk with God and and, and, and the place that you're going when you die as you can... uh, Join in with Christ and say, I am not of the world. Just as Christ said, I am not of the world. So you can say, I am not of the world. If you can't confidently say, I'm not of the world, then my heart's not going after the world. You have right to question your salvation. You have right to have these dark feelings and these discouragements. And, and you have right to um, struggle in your Christian life. But Jesus said, they are not of the world. These people that are surely mine, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. And even if you do have that confidence walk with God, still, for all of us, there is an ongoing sanctification. Sanctify them through thy truth. Through the truth. The unwavering truth of the word of God. The sanctification. It all comes into context in the story of his glory. Even so, Verse 18, as thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. Okay, so today is not the time to send you into the world. We have a group of ten that are sitting here. We're going to be leaving tomorrow to go to Tanzania. 
Okay, this is not the time to have a commission and send them into the world. Alright? Today is not the time to start a new mission. Understand what I'm saying? You, you'll understand as we go along. Today is not the time to start a new mission. Today is not the time to, um, to start uh, commissioning people because we've all been commissioned. He has already sent us into the world. It's not our idea. It's not a new idea. It's not a new thing. Jesus tells the Father, I have sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. We'll let Brother Earl teach us sometime how that Jesus could sanctify himself. How can that happen? But, beautiful, deep things going on here. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. With the uh, confidence that there is going to be a multiplication. There is going to be a making disciples. There is going to be preaching the word. And as they speak the word, that they are going to be people who are going to believe through the word. And he prays for them who believe. In other words, the coming generations of believers. And he says that they all may be one. The unification. God is not looking for individual believers. He's not looking for prayer closet believers. I believe in spending time in your prayer closet. But God is looking for believers who come together and are unified and are continually being unified just as we are continually being sanctified. God is looking for people who come together and are made to be one. So one that the world believes because of the love that they have for one another. so one because they're all focused on the glorification of Jesus Christ so one because each person views that the story the narrative of his life is just one little thread in the grand narrative that God has started since before the foundations of the world Each one sees his worth in lifting up Jesus Christ. I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one. You see, as much as I'm in Christ, that is how much this idea of our perfection, our community, is made perfect in one. So that, he doesn't stop there. See, quick succession, he gives the three themes intertwined together in one sentence, one verse, that the world may know that thou hast sent me. Beloved, does the world know that God has sent the Son into the world and has loved them as thou hast loved me? Do they know that? We don't know how many are going to be saved. We don't know how many are going to respond and, and, and follow and believe. But the reason that God didn't take us out of the world First, we saw Jesus say, so that they can be sanctified. And then we saw how that the reason that we're still here is so that we can be unified. But the reason also that we are still in this world is because the world has not yet known. The world has not yet known. I think we'll stop there, John 17, for right now. But if we look at these things of God's glory, God's grand narrative, God's grand purpose, 
to display his glory to all the earth. I think we can come up with some definitions for a lot of things we grapple with. We can come up with a type of definition. For example, for materialism. A definition for materialism could very simply be materialism is spending any of your resources, your time, your finances, your talents on anything that builds up yourself instead of Jesus Christ. That's materialism. You know, we can think of, oh, materialism is pursuing my job too much, uh, too much money. Well, it is. But that's a bit narrow. It's a bit narrow. Spending time working uh, because of a, a lust for things, if it is to use a resource of your time or anything that you have or that you're pursuing to have instead of to glorify God. A definition for carnality. Carnality, we could define as simply uh, doing anything, um, thinking about anything that lifts up something that is of this carnal world. Paul uses the word carnal as something tangible, something material that you can get your hands on. Going after that as a, a thing in itself instead of the glorification of Jesus Christ. A definition for legalism. We go with the definition for legalism as that which lifts up a rule. And I'm not going to say just the Mosaic law. Any rule, even the commands of Christ, as an end in itself, in, in, in any way, instead, in any way replacing glorifying Jesus Christ. Now, obviously, if I am following the president and I want him to be exalted the world over, and I want people to respect him and to follow him and obey him, I'm going to obey what he says. That is the very foundational thing I'm going to do. But you know what? I can focus on one thing that President Obama says, and I can say, you know, that's a good thing. I'm going to go after that. And I preach that everywhere, and I just work it out. My whole life is focused on that. And in the end, I don't care anything about him as a person. But I do it earnestly, on purpose, and or lift up who he is as a person. <clears throat> we can come up with a definition for gluttony. We could say that gluttony is simply using food, any amount of it, for my gratification instead of to glorify God. Am I making it simple enough? I think you can go down through the list and you can, you can get meaning and relativity for many things. Uh, put them in their perspective that we struggle to do sometimes in ways which we struggle to do. The story of His glory. Turn with me to Acts chapter 3. The end of Acts chapter 3. We have Peter preaching. In response to having healed the uh, the layman in the temple, and the people were amazed, and he had a crowd, and he was preaching to them about how they crucified Christ, perhaps ignorantly, and he talks to them about Moses and the prophets, 
In verse 24, we're going to break and he says, Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, as many as have spoken, have likewise foretold of these days. This time when God uh, pours out his spirit and he uh, redeems uh, his people and salvation is clearly known and, and God's people come together in unification. And these days where the gospel goes forth, just as, as we have uh, reiterated there again in Acts chapter 1, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to uttermost parts of the earth. These days, verse 25, ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers. Now he's going to specify which covenant, and he's going to say that God was, he said unto Abraham, in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Do you understand the connection? Peter understood it. He had these three themes intertwined. He understood it. Salvation was not an end in itself. Purpose is beyond salvation. Purpose is beyond sanctification. The purpose is beyond unification. Even historically, even going back to Abraham, the father of the, the Jews... God made a covenant with Abraham. In thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Unto you first, God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you and turning away every one of you from his iniquities. See now, what you're seeing is simply a fulfillment of the promise of the covenant that God made with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. Let's go there. Genesis chapter 12. We want to see the glory. We want to see the story of his glory. From Genesis to Revelation. Unfortunately, we don't have quite enough time to read the whole story. We would have to spend several hours, maybe a few days or weeks. Uh, but do it. It will be foundational. It will be life-changing for you. Go through the Bible looking for this theme, this story of His glory. God saying, I want to lift up my name. And he specifies you will find time and time and time again not just lift up my name to an individual or to a local group that gathers together, but to lift up my name to all of the families and kindreds of the earth. Don't miss the opportunity. One of the most life-changing things I ever did. Go through the Bible. If you read through the Bible in a year, take a highlighter. Do different themes, but one time, go through the Bible and then look for this theme and highlight all those verses that talk about God saying, I want to lift up my glory. Or one of his prophets pointing to the purpose of his glory. Or things that God did and things that happened that clearly was uh, to lift up his glory. To glorify God, particularly in front of all the families of the earth. Genesis chapter 12. Lord God said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will shew thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great. Thou shalt be a blessing. Sound a little bit similar to Jesus saying, Glorify me so I can glorify you. Abraham didn't ask for it, but God offered it to him. He says, I'm going to make your name great. Make you a great nation, I'm going to bless you. You're going to be a blessing. Verse 3, And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. This is what God is going for. Look at, look at the reason. Look at the result. 
And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Now, Abraham did not visit every family of the earth, even every clan, even every language group. But through Abraham, through his seed, through uh, the people that had that vision burning on their hearts, you see, God reached and still desires to reach all of the families of the earth. It's not going to happen through someone who says, I'm so glad God saved me. It's not going to happen through someone who says, I'm so glad God gave us a wonderful fellowship. If it stops there. It's going to happen for those who have been born again, experience the blessing of Jesus Christ, which was in everything. Obviously, he is the center of this blessing, of this glorification. It all happens through Jesus Christ. Literally, through Abraham's physical seed, Jesus was physically born into this world. And so, it's possible for all the families of the earth to be blessed. It has been provided for through Jesus Christ. But even though it's been provided for, it is not realized without individuals. And then, God's people unified together, having that burning vision of these three principles to take God's name to all the families of the earth. It won't happen otherwise. It won't happen. It has been said that we can look at these uh, verses um, as the top line and bottom line. Some of you businessmen, you know what we're talking about. We're talking about the bottom line. You you know what your goal is. You know what the purpose is. You've got to have that bottom line hold out. Those figures, the bottom line is what counts. It's not how much money comes in, but it's, you know, it depends on what your expenditures are and it depends on how much uh, you have to invest, how long of a time, all these different things to get your return. Then you look at that bottom line. You want to see that grow. You don't want to see it go the wrong direction. The bottom line is the result. It is the fruit. It is the, the profit. Here we have the bottom line is that in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. And so if we're looking at it in this way, what would we call the top line? I'd like to propose that the top line is that you're blessed. Is that right? You're blessed. You've been blessed on purpose. God made it very clear to Abraham, I'm going to bless you on purpose. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make of you a great nation. I'm going to make you famous. I'm going to make you so renowned that many different nations will track, will trace their lineage back to you. And even today, even though we don't physically, by Abraham's seed, trace our lineage back to Abraham, Paul very clearly teaches us we are a branch grafted in. We trace our lineage back to Abraham, our faith. We trace back to Abraham, do we not? And that's amazing. He was blessed, but he was blessed with a purpose. He was blessed with a purpose beyond his own blessing, beyond his own personal salvation, beyond even his own people, the people of Israel. He was blessed. That's the top line. And there again, we can put you on a guilt trip. It's, it's good and necessary. Pick up the, the little book, the little pamphlet. Um, what is Gary Miller's little pamphlet? Uh, the, the global, okay, the global wall just came out. What was the one before that? The, um, the global village, yes. You can pick up these things. You get the statistics. I'm not going to give them to you today. You are blessed in every way physically. We can talk about every category. You are in the world's minority. 
putting aside wealth, even just the fact that you have a road to go on. You don't have to buy a $40,000 vehicle to have a dependable one. You can buy a $5,000 vehicle. Some of us debate that, but you can, you can buy a, you know, you, you can buy a cheap dollar vehicle and you, you can be dependable and you can go across the United States. We have infrastructure. We have education. You can get education readily, cheaply, all kinds of different ways. Online, homeschooling, sending your children to... I counted them up this summer. I drove down the road and I realized that within a two-mile, a few-mile radius, maybe it was three or four, uh, I went past half a dozen Mennonite private schools within, our, within reach from our house. <clears throat> We're blessed. We have liberties. We have tools. We have communication. We have health. That's why I'm in America right now. Even within our nation, we're shocked at so many different unique treatments and possibilities that we have within 15, 30 minutes from driving from our house. People we often meet there driving two, three, four hours from different parts of Tanzania. I mean, of Pennsylvania, yeah, it's about the same to me. Uh, and, and, and we're blessed, particularly in this little corner of this country. We have options. We have the gospel. Just like I said, several different Mennonite schools, you probably do about the same as several different Mennonite churches. Within several miles from my house, you can drive and go past. <clears throat> we have options down to the details. We're blessed with the gospel. We're blessed simply because we have a Bible written in our language. <clears throat> We're so blessed. That's the top line. And if I can somehow help you to understand this principle, I'm not saying those things. And I think we should be careful when we look at the statistics. We don't, say, we don't look at those things with a guilt trip and walk away and just feel overwhelmed. Oh, wow, what do I do? I guess give more to Cam. And those are good responses. But that is not really the ultimate. The ultimate is that we would get what, G, what God was telling Abraham here. God was saying, you're blessed with a purpose. The whole reason you're even alive today and on this world, there's a Christian like you alive. It's because you are to be a blessing. And God saw it right, not just to say, be a blessing to someone today. But we need to break it down to today and here and now and in my neighborhood and our church and and what, what God has opportunity before me now. But especially if we brought it out to our congregation and other congregations that we do and should and will work with, You know, the broader we go, the the broader our scope needs to be of God's purpose. Does that make sense? The broader our scope can be. In other words, I can be involved because I'm involved in blessing this church and this church is reaching to to Lebanon City or to Pottsville or to any other place. Then I have contributed, even though maybe I have never gone to that place. I'm a part and and I have a vision. It's important for me to have a vision for the many different things. I have a, you know, you have a brother in the church who has opportunities in the business world to reach out and to share the word of Christ. I, I feel meaning there. I have a vision for that like I wouldn't have otherwise because we're part of a group. That's a beautiful thing of the body of Christ. So, what I was going to say is that God saw fit to put within the scope of the vision here, this bottom line purpose, the fruit, the result that comes from that top line blessing is that all the families of the earth. He says, in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. You see? It's not just that you're going to have um, just your neighborhood. But it's going to be all the families. We need to find meaning in that in practical ways. How can we? 
take these blessings to all of the families of the earth. Abraham himself didn't personally go to all the families. Jesus himself didn't purposely go to all the, didn't, didn't personally go to all of the families. God doesn't expect you to. But God expects you to have that vision burning in your heart. It's going to impact even the little opportunities you have. It's going to impact your perspective. It's going to make a difference. When someone comes to you as a father and says, I think your son should take this opportunity to go to Tanzania for two years. doesn't mean that everyone's going to say, yes, I think so too. Some are going to say, you know, well, God has clearly shown us to use his blessing in this way. Praise the Lord. But it's going to, it's going to make a difference. <clears throat> it's going to make a difference. It's going to make a difference when someone says, let's go, to, let's go to Walmart and pass out tracks. It's going to make a difference when you're a mom and you're thinking about who you're going to invite for a meal. It's going to make a difference. <clears throat> this is a theme from Genesis to Revelation. If you start in January and you go, go through your Bible reading plan, read through the Bible, and highlight these things where God uses the word nations, all nations, and he uses the words glory, glorifying, talking about glorifying himself. You know, to make it clear, the word nations is ethnos. Ethnos, if it sounds like it could be linked, think about it, is related to our word ethnic. Ethnic foods, ethnic people groups. You go to an ethnic restaurant, you're not necessarily going to an American restaurant. Is that right? If you're going to an ethnic restaurant, you're not necessarily going to a, a, an African restaurant or a, um, a um, Mexican restaurant. Uh, but, you know, ethnos goes right down to even a particular tribe, a particular people group. Restaurants is, is still not a real good uh, picture for us. But uh, today, statistics have it that there is 6,510 language groups. And there's other ways to define separated, um, distinct cultural groups, ethnic groups. Uh, so the number could be even higher than that, but at least by language. <clears throat> So, God is saying all these families of the earth, it's at least 6,000, maybe 7,000, some figures much higher, groups in this world today. Turn to Exodus quickly with me. Exodus 9. God is dealing with the Egyptians and the plagues. And as he's dealing with them, look at what he says. Uh, I'm going to break in verse um, 13. The Lord said unto Moses, Rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For I will at this time send all my plagues upon thine heart, and upon thy servants, and upon thy people, what's his reason? That thou mayest know that there is none like me in all the earth. I've read, others have researched, that each of the plagues was particularly targeted against different gods of the Egyptians. 
creatures and things that they worship, the Nile River and, and different things they worship, the plagues were shown that God has power over all those things. He can destroy those things. He can make those very things they worship become their enemy because they become numerable and things like that. Um, God was attacking their gods. God was lifting up His name. God was lifting up His own glory. When we say God's name, if you look at it, if, if you um, pay attention, uh, going through the Old Testament, and the New Testament, where God mentions my name. He's not talking about whether it's Jehovah. Uh, I'm not a Jehovah's Witness. He's not talking about whether it's Jehovah, and he's not talking about all the many different, how many uh, names you can come up with uh, about, that describe God. But he is talking about his reputation. And many different terms and words and names and titles helps us to define a bit who he is. But he's simply saying, I want my reputation to be established in front of the Egyptians. I want them to know that I am the only supreme God and all these other things are not gods. That was his purpose. One of the most amazing things that on through history, on through uh, the kings and, and the history of uh, the Israelites, Many times the prophets point back to. Remember. And God would speak. And God would say, I am the God that delivered you out of Egypt. I am the God that took you through the Red Sea. I am the God that did wondrous things. And that was, would be the monument that God would point back to. And this is central to what God was doing there. He's simply making a statement. Not only to Pharaoh. Not only to the e- Egypt. But to all the other nations around that look to Egypt as the ultimate of power. And make a statement that I am the God. Verse 16, and in very deed, for this cause have I raised thee up for to shew in thee my power. And that, here we have it, my name. Verse 16, my reputation may be declared throughout all the earth. Throughout all of the earth. Jump ahead now to uh, chapter 15 of Exodus. Verses 3 and 7. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. As you're highlighting, going through the Bible, highlight wherever he says name. The Lord is his name. And in thy greatness of thine excellency, verse 7, thy, the greatness of thine excellency, thou hast overthrown them that rose up against thee. Thou sentest forth thy wrath, which consumed them as stubble. And this is the Moses song that the people sang uh, Rejoicing in God and glorifying God when they saw the great things that God did in delivering them from the Egyptian army. And they're again focused on God's name being glorified and lifted up in front of all of the families and the peoples of the earth. Why? Why to the ends of the earth? The story of his glory. Why? Why to the ends of the earth? Abraham, we have looked at him in Genesis. Look, let's look at him now in Numbers, chapter 14. This foundational man of the people of God that even we link our faith back to. 14, Abraham is interceding. He's interceding for the people of Israel. God, don't destroy them. Don't destroy them. And you see up in... Um, Verse 13 says, God, if you do, the Egyptians are going to hear about it. All that beautiful, wonderful things that you did to make your name glorious in front of the Egyptians, it's going to undo all of that. See? He was concerned about God's glory. He was concerned about the story of God's glory. He was concerned about this story going to all the ends of the earth. 
verse 15, he says, Now if thou shalt kill all this people as one man, then the nations, highlight that one, then the nations which have heard the fame of thee will speak, saying, Because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land which he spared unto them, therefore he has slain them in the wilderness. Jump down, uh, continue, verse 17. And now I beseech thee, let the power of my Lord be great, according as thou hast spoken, saying, The Lord is long-suffering, great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. And Moses uh, is here pleading with God, and he's saying, The Lord said, I have pardoned according to thy word, but as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Wow! Do you think if he would not have had this perspective, he would have been able to pray that way? If he would look at the world the way you and I do, if he would live the way you and I do, would you have the perspective to pray this kind of prayer? You understand the purpose, the grand vision, the grand narrative that he understood to be able to pray this way. As I truly live, he's reminding God of his own character and his purpose and, and glorifying his name in front of all of the peoples of the earth. He says, you promise that the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have tempted me now these ten times and have not hearkened to my voice. Surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers. Neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. And he goes on. It's just got it. Take a glimpse there. Take a look at that. Let's jump ahead to the Queen of Sheba. First Kings, chapter 9. Verse 25. I think we're just going to read verse 1 of chapter 10. And when the Queen of Sheba... Heard of the fame of Solomon. What did she hear? Do you think she heard about the riches? I think she did. Do you think she heard about the great armies? I think she did. But what does it say? Concerning the name of the Lord. She came to prove him with hard questions. The Queen of Sheba, she heard about the name of the Lord. Think about our land. We have people coming from all over the world. You know that the vast majority of the world's 200 um, world leaders, head of state, leaders of countries across the world, the vast majority have at one time studied in this country. They've come. We have something. We have something to see. We have something to learn. But did they come because concerning the name of the Lord? I'm afraid not. Did they get to hear the name of the Lord while they are here? Look at the statistics. doesn't look very good. <clears throat> Go with me to Psalms. Psalm 66. I'm just going to read these. I'm not going to comment much. Psalms is full. David was a man after God's own heart. David had, I think, amazingly, the New Testament, while he was still in the Old Testament era, something 
about him. He connected with God. And when you get close to God, you hear what God's thinking, what he's feeling, and what he's saying. And he caught this heartbeat from God. And so the Psalms are full of David talking about uh, God's name and declaring God's glory to all the peoples of the earth. Verses 1, starting in verse 1, Psalm 66. Make a joyful noise unto God, all ye lands. Did David go to all the lands? No. But this passion came bursting out as he praised the Lord. Sing forth the honor of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say unto God, how terrible art thou in thy works. Through the greatness of thy power shall thine enemies submit themselves unto thee. All the earth shall worship thee and shall sing unto thee. They shall sing to thy reputation. They shall sing because of they, they know the essence of who you are. Sing to thy name. Selah. Jump down to um, Psalm 67. God be merciful unto us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. Beautiful things, right things to pray. That thy way may be known upon earth. Are we quick to just put those things together or do we separate those things? You know, our prayers of sanctification can be selfish prayers. And thus we're feeding the very arch enemy of our lives. But here they're beautifully wed together. Thy saving health among all nations. Let the people praise thee, O God. Let all the people praise thee. Oh, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. All of these 6,000, 7,000 people groups across this world. For thou shalt judge the people righteously and govern the nations upon earth. Selah. Let the people praise thee, O God. Let all the people praise thee. Then shall the earth Yield her increase. See? The bottom line. The prophet. And God, even our own God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. And all the ends of the earth shall fear him. Wow. All of the ends of the earth shall fear him. Psalm 138, 4 to 5. Psalms 138, all the kings of the earth shall praise thee, O Lord, when they hear the words of thy mouth. Yea, they shall sing in the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. Isaiah 12, verse 4. And in that day shall you say, praise the Lord, call upon his name, declare his doings among the people, make mention that his name is exalted. God's reputation, God's glory, who God is, His essence, His attributes, which, by the way, is only really demonstrated by God's people. That's right. Together, being sanctified, being unified. Jump with me to Ezekiel 36. Prophets are full of this perspective. They were close to God. They were God's messengers. They were the stand between God and his people. Therefore say unto the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, I do not this for your sakes, O house of Israel, but for mine holy name's sake, which ye have profaned among the heathen, whither ye went. See? God was concerned about those heathen. God was concerned about all the people watching on and the profaning that was going on. Not just I'm, you know, off on the job site by myself and I use a cuss word. God's concerned about what the reputation that's going out. 
even more serious than when you're by yourself. And I will sanctify my great name, which was profaned among the heathen, which ye have profaned in the midst of them. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, saith the Lord God, when I shall be sanctified in you before their eyes. Before their eyes. Let's jump ahead to Malachi chapter 1. Verse 11. For from the rising of the sun, even unto the going down of the same, not just from the morning to the evening, but from the east to the west. And how far do you go to the east till you meet the west? How far do you go from the west till you meet the east? All around the globe, from the east to the west, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. And in every place, incense shall be offered unto my name, and a pure offering, for my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. The scriptures are too many. If we go through the Gospels, if we go through the Acts, you're more familiar with them. Let's jump up to Revelations, chapter 7. Revelations. This is history in the future. (laughs) This is as sure as history has already happened, but it's going to happen. Yet in the future. Praise the Lord. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude. I'm sorry, verse 9. Revelation 7, verse 9. A great multitude which no man could number of all nations. To make it clear, he's talking about all clans, all kindreds, all people, all tongues, all languages. Stood before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes and palms in their hands and cried with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. That's the picture. That's what we have to look forward to. That's why you and I are still on this earth because that cannot yet be realized. God is still waiting for us. God's still waiting for His people. To be sanctified personally. To be unified into working, loving, beautiful, exemplary, attractive bodies of Christ. Making up the body of Christ. So that God can be glorified. On this level. With this kind of diversity coming together with this kind of unity around the throne of God. There's something very special to God about diversity. And think about that. When you think about church even. Something very special about diversity. The reason that we fight for including diversity and finding unity in that diversity in the headship of Christ is the same on an even more beautiful and broader and grander scale. We look at God's grand story of His glory from Genesis to Revelation. And we're not to Revelation yet. You see, we're in between there. Just as we fight for it here in Schaeferstown. So, we cannot rightfully do, accurately do, without having God's vision for the whole world. Every time there is a different cultural representation, 
has been won to the Lord. That's fitting a piece of the puzzle around that throne room. That's why. That's why it's worth it. Could I win more souls in this country with less expense and less time, less effort? It's possible. Some situations, yes. Some situations, no. In my situation, I must say the numbers aren't really impressive. But that's really not the purpose. The purpose isn't even how many will say yes. The purpose isn't how many will believe. The purpose is that all may know. So all of you young ladies, all of you mothers, young boys, too young to go, old fathers too established in your business to go, too needed by the church and the pillar that you are in the church to go, so you're left off the hook. It's just us 20 to 30 year olds. I'll give you a few statistics as we close. You answer that question, if that's really true. There's nothing that you can do that if there is anything that in your life can make a difference, um, that you would do different as you grow with this perspective. You know, at the time of Christ, there was 300,000, 300 million, I'm sorry, according to estimates, 300 million people on this earth. Today, there are 7.3 billion people. 67% of those have never even heard about Jesus. Six, over half of the people in our world today less than a hundredth of that figure I've ever heard the truth about what Jesus taught. You may know some things about Jesus through some form of Christianity somewhere close by. I've never really heard the appealing, the attractiveness of what Jesus taught. Even at 67%, we have more than 16,000 times the number of people today that need to be reached than those that need to be reached when Jesus was on the earth and he gave the Great Commission. We have more than 16,000 times that number of people that need to be reached. So, when Jesus said, go into all the world, teach all nations, the job has gotten bigger. But this 2,000 years of history of the people of God hasn't gotten smaller. Maybe the question is no longer, why would we go to all the effort and sacrifice? Maybe the question is, why wouldn't we? Have we failed? Have we been unfaithful? That with all the believers in the world today, still the figures are that way. Since we started this service two hours ago, over 5,800 people have died without having heard about Christ. These two hours we've enjoyed this fellowship today. Christians make up one third of the world's population, but make over half of the world's income and spend 98% of it on themselves. Over half of the world's unreached people groups live in countries closed.
to U.S. missionaries. Okay? So should we go? Jesus said go. There was something mobile, something forward acting, physically moving about that. But Jesus also, um, you know, he used a queen of Sheba. He used that. He used the people who looked on when he did it in in Egypt. And Jesus does, um, God does want to, um, he wants to get into those places where missionaries cannot easily get into. And there's many of them. Over half of the world's unreached people groups live in countries close to U.S. missionaries. And this is where I think we can all find something relative. 157,500. There's many more international students. But of all the international students that come to the United States, 157,500 are international students that come to the U.S. every single year from these countries that prohibit Christian missionaries. The Queen of Sheba has come to us. 90% of those 157,500 international students, you can't go to their country, but they've come to you. 90% of these are never reached with the gospel. 80% of them have never even once been invited into a Christian's home for a meal. Maybe this year, young man, you could consider finding ten, maybe two, that you would go and speak with about Jesus Christ. They at least won't be on that statistic of those who have never heard. I'm not going to say they're going to believe. I'm not going to say go make a convert. Speak to them about Jesus Christ. Maybe of those ten, you can convince two or three or four to come home to mom's supper table for a meal. And maybe your dad can explain a little deeper about Jesus Christ. I think that's within grasp. If you were left floundering last week, I think that's within grasp. May God bless you all.